Hey, creepy people. This is PNW Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. For each episode, we do a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on the topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous cases such as the misdeeds of Boeing, as well as lesser known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 as well as our spooky stories from Pike Place and Raven's Manor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you'd like to listen. Have, Have a, a creepy-ass creepy day. day! I'm Carmen. And I'm Amy. And welcome to Live, Laugh, Murder. Welcome to Live, Laugh, Murder. Today's episode is not our typical true crime or movie plot format. Today we're doing a paranormal episode, Ooh. but even more special, you heard a different name. Hi, Amy. Hi, Carmen. So Joanna right now, if you've been listening, is in the process of buying a house and selling a house and moving to a different town. So we had to bring in, bring in what? Me. <laughs> You get me today, friends. <laughs> we had to bring in our very good friend, Amy, who you've heard us talk about. And you were on our show last Halloween. Yep. Did you like it? I loved it. Welcome back. My favorite show. Is it? Yeah. Amy, do you know what we're talking about today? You said paranormal, paranormal activity, which it, involves what? Little ghosties. And many other things. I'm excited. Are you? I am. I am too. Thank you for real for coming. I appreciate you. I am glad to be here. It took me five hours to drive <laughs> to your house. Yeah, or 45 minutes. Or that. Same thing. Okay, so if you guys clicked on the episode, then you obviously know what we're talking about. You saw the title, but Amy, I'm going to tell you in just a second here. December 26th, 1973. Ooh, I was one years old. No, you weren't. <laughs> 1973? See, I know how this works because you asked Joanna, where were you? <laughs> where were you? People stand in lines to watch the long-awaited movie, The Exorcist. Oh. Such a fun Christmas activity. That is really... Is that when it came out? Yep. It's Christmas time. That's yep. crazy. The news interviewed people after watching it, and two women in interviews claimed to have fainted during the movie. I can see that. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the iconic movie, it's about a 12-year-old girl who looks fucking crazy. Yes. Um, do you remember... Do You saw it, right? Yeah. Do you remember anything that happens? Um, the vomit is yeah. like the, <laughs> the pea soup. Ugh. Ugh. She levitates on the bed. Yep. She, um, her head spins around like crazy, right? She crawls up the wall like a spider, which freaks me out. So in the movie, she's undergoing an exorcism and they throw holy water on her. The priests pray over her. She gets more and more hideous as the movie goes on. Yes. Face turns more ugly. <laughs> Um, it's scary even now, but back in the 70s, it was really, really, really intense. Some may call it the scariest movie of all time. Oh. I mean, it freaks you out. It does. I agree. It has such an impact that after the movie premiered, priests were flooded with requests for investigations of demonic possession. People are weird. 
I know. But did you know that this movie's based on a true story? I did not know that. Yes, it is. For skeptics out there, I'll rephrase. It's based on accounts of people who allege this is a true story. So it's like a bunch of stories in one. Well, we're going to talk about one exorcism that this movie is supposedly based on. Okay. So this is the true story, quote unquote, of the exorcism of Roland Doe. <laughs> this is made up. No, it's not. That is such a made up name. It is a made up like name. Like rolling in the dough. I know. It is a made up name because a 13 year old boy from Maryland, which uh, Roland Doe is not his real name because he is a minor. Oh. So this Doe, John Doe, I don't know why Roland of all. Roland Doe. Roland. I thought you were saying like Roland like oh. with an apostrophe <laughs> at the end. Roland. R O L A N D. Yep. So this movie supposedly was based on Roland's experience of an exorcism. Okay. I'm excited. Do you know, just off the top of your head, anything about exorcisms? Do you know any details? Like, okay, how long they last? It can last as long as it takes for the demon to leave the body. Do you know that they can last like years? That I didn't know. I usually, I mean, I would maybe think like a week tops. I know, right? (laughs) Um, do you know what they do during an exorcism? I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. So like the praying, the holy water. There's specific rules to even allow an exorcism to occur. Yes, I do know that. It's pretty interesting if you don't know those things. And to request an exorcism from a priest has pretty extensive process. And they have to get approved through, I don't know, like the hierarchy of... Catholicism? Yeah. The priesthood? Like, you can't just go to a priest and say, hey, I need an exorcism. They exactly. have to, like, get special approval and yep. only certain priests, I think, maybe. Okay, we're on the same page. Coming There's the some, same thing. I mean, do people still do it today? Yeah. Huh. It's still a thing. So that's what we're talking about today, Roland Doe. Okay, I'm going to take you back even further in time to early January 1949. Oh, my husband was just born. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> You're his sugar baby. <laughs> In Cottage City, Maryland. No one lives in Maryland. Yeah, I lived in Maryland in fifth grade. I didn't know that. See, look at all this information I'm learning. I know. Fun fact. Roland was an only child living in a modest suburb outside of Washington, D.C., where I went for my fifth grade field trip to Washington, D.C. because I lived in Maryland. It's cute. It's cute. (laughs) He was known by his classmates as kind of restless and someone who had trouble focusing. He had a close bond with his Aunt Tilly, who was known to toy around with spiritualism and believed you could communicate with the dead. Which was, I feel like, frowned upon back then. Yeah, well, spiritualism had a whole movement, and she was involved in it. She would play with the Ouija board with Roland to show him how to communicate with the dead. I played Ouija board or spirit board or whatever you want to call it at sleepovers when I was a kid. You did too? Yep. Did you? And light as a feather, stiff as a board. Yes. (laughs) two fingers under the body (laughs) from everyone from each hand um i never trusted the people i played ouija board with it would move on the letters and i'd look at all my friends like they were all deceitful assholes but then you sit there and think i'm the true one that is being honest but it probably was you no (laughs) i would never move it on my own as i got older i started hearing things and i was watching charmed growing up like the original charmed and it freaked me out enough to think uh, you know, there's demons in the Ouija board. Yep. It makes me think of Bloody Mary and mm-hmm. Candyman and all of the... Urban legends. Yeah. If you will. Well, many people believe that using Ouija boards invites dark spirits into your space. 
And people who believe this story about Roland say that this was the initial invitation for him to welcome a demon into his body. That darn Aunt Tilly. See, ants are bad influences. <laughs> January 15th, 1949. So we're going to kind of ramp it up here. After Christmas, while at home, Roland's mother was hearing what she thought were scratching noises from behind the wall. Ugh. This is how it all kind of starts, and I want you to pay attention to the time frame here. So January 15th. So she had an exterminator come check the house for rats. Yeah. When nothing was found, it was assumed it was Roland acting up and trying to get attention because, like I said, in school, he was kind of that kid. Yeah. But over time, it was Roland's mom who started thinking their house might be haunted. See, that's so... I don't know. It's weird like to think back then that this is what... Like, I, I feel like our influence of movies has caused us to think immediately that things are haunted. Like, what influence did they have back then? Each other. I guess. Yeah, I, that's a pretty big leap to go from rats in the walls yeah. to haunting. January 26th, Roland learns that his Aunt Tilly has passed away. Oh. This was devastating to him, and everything starts to unravel at their home. Roland and his mom, and this is just, it comes in hot started hearing loud noises in the home. Not just scratching, but banging, marching noises in Roland's bedroom. Ugh. And there's nobody there. It's just them. So Roland's mom states loudly, Tilly, if this is you, knock three times. Because this whole spiritualist movement going on, people thought that they could communicate with the dead. And lo and behold, they hear three knocks. Stop it. Mm -hmm. So they are sure that this is Tilly visiting them from the beyond. But is it? Because if you believe this, you would know Tilly loved Roland and she wouldn't want to make him feel afraid or make him feel tortured. Yeah. And that's kind of the clue right there. If your loved one is, if you believe in that, is visiting you from the beyond, it's going to give you a sense of comfort, not fear. That's a good point. As time went on, things started escalating very quickly. They started seeing, reportedly, allegedly, okay, the family started seeing dishes being moved around. Ooh. Things fly across the room, chairs spinning and sliding across the floor, and this was every night. I don't like it. You don't like it? I just, can you imagine? No. Oh, freak out. At this point, I'd say my house is haunted. Yeah. Not five minutes ago. Not rats. <laughs> right. When Roland would go to bed, his bed would shake. His headboard oh, would that's bang. that's it for me. <laughs> I'm out of there. His headboard would bang against the wall and terror would ensue with Roland just lying there in bed. So skeptics would say that he was shaking the bed. Right. He was moving the headboard. But he was reportedly a skinny 13-year-old kid who wouldn't have that kind of strength. The next things that started were that Roland started to make noises that didn't sound like his own voice. Ugh, I don't like so that now, at all. So now I'm thinking of the exorcist because yep. remember when she does like talk and it's so creepy. Yep. It's really bad. Or even human voices. It didn't sound like the noises were human. Is this mental illness or is this a demon? Because that's still the debate today in these conversations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is a mental illness. Yeah. Sometimes it's a demon, I guess. So it is said that people in the neighborhood were starting to hear the yelling, screaming, and banging coming from their house. So <laughs> it's escalated. It's Yep. They truly thought that something was wrong with Roland, the neighborhood people, their neighbors, the neighborhood people. <laughs> the hood. Yeah, the hood. Um, then when he was in class, because this didn't just happen at home, when he was at school in class, there were instances where his papers would fly across the room, his desk would slide across the floor, 
and the teachers all assumed he was acting up or showing off. I can see that. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't Im- immediately assume demon. No. But he swore, he swore up and down. He wasn't controlling this at all. So eventually he stopped going to school. Now we're in February and it's to the point where every night Roland wakes up to a rattling bed and recurring nightmares of evil spirits. And this is when it begins to seem impossible that he is doing these things on his own. The fits, contortions, which I hate that word, screams, cries, bring his parents to the point of taking him to, well, what would you do first? In the 40s? Yeah. I probably, I mean, they took, I guess the priest. You would go straight to the priest? I don't know. The they, were they religious to begin with? Uh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Or mental. I mean, that, mental hospitals back then weren't. Yeah. They I weren't mean, what they are getting today. locked up and never seen again. <clears throat> We've all seen American Horror Story. Yes. Oh, no, they took him to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I should have went there first. <laughs> Which is what, I think it's what we would do too, naturally. <laughs> I go to the extreme. Yeah. You're going to see the priest or you're going in a mental institution. <laughs> we don't even, like, we don't go to church, but we're going to a priest anyway. It yep, doesn't matter. Absolutely. So they took him to the doctor, at, you know, trying to investigate, is he having seizures? Does he maybe have Tourette's? That was the thought too. And later when... You do try to get a priest to approve an exorcism. I learned, and it was said in the documentary that I watched that I'll state later, that if you don't see a doctor first, it can cause more harm than good for the exorcism because there truly could be a medical issue and not a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. So you're just torturing the person even more. If you, unless you rule out all other things, Roland's doctor finds nothing medically wrong with him. So next person they go to not a priest yet. Hold on, let me think. Okay. Hmm. I can so take a sip of my coffee. Who would I bring my child to? A gastroenterologist. <laughs> no, I don't know. Where do they go? Get the pea soup out. A, a psychologist. Yes, that's what they did. See? Look at that. Look at that. We're great moms. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> All right, so they go to a psychologist. Could Roland maybe have schizophrenia or manic depression? Well, as the documentary pointed out, this was the 40s and mental illness wasn't studied the way that it is today, which, yeah. Either way, they could find nothing, quote unquote, wrong with Roland. The documentary also said that psychiatrists and other mental health experts can be hesitant to diagnose a person with demonic possession. I would have never even thought that you would ask a psychologist, are they possessed? I guess, like, the Bible was an influence. Yep. But, like, were there stories back then about paranormal activity? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Or what those kind of stories included. Shit like this? But, like, that people read for fun. Think about Frankenstein. When was that? That's know. behind. It's actually right behind you. Grab it. I want to see. On the right. Uh, 1818. So... So that's scary like, stories were coming yeah, out. Yeah, like supernatural, like werewolves, vampires. Yeah. A lot longer than we think, I, I, I just think. wonder how common demons. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't hear about that today. Who can you ask? Ask your, ask your mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we need an elder in the house. Mom. Um, okay. She'll, she'll tell about witches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I am a witch. Uh, yep. So they were hesitant to diagnose a person with that. And not just kind of for the obvious reasons we said, but because extreme trauma in a person's life can lead to someone to mimic signs of demonic possession. Passing of his aunt. Oh, extreme trauma. That's a good point. So all we have from his records are that he was high strung medically and that's it. But what does that mean? Nervous, anxious, what we would call anxiety today. I guess. 
I'm just, I'm diagnosed as high strung. <laughs> That's my new diagnosis. Well, this is when Roland's parents finally, not finally, but eventually seek out the pastor, their pastor. So they go to St. Stephen's Evangelical Lutheran Church, which is, I believe, the church that they attended, not a Catholic church, Lutheran. Mm-hmm. And they sought out Reverend Luther Meyer Schultz. He was interested already in parapsychology, which is, and I looked it up. So Google says parapsychology is the study of mental phenomena, which are excluded from, wow, one more time. Spit it out. (laughs) The study of mental phenomena, which are excluded from or inex, I can't say that fucking word. Inexplicable. Inexplicable. (laughs) By orthodox scientific psychology, such as hypnosis, telepathy. Oh, my God. I can't speak. It's too early. It's okay. Basically, things that you you can't see in front of you. Yeah, you can't explain with science. You you can see a broken arm, but you can't see hypnosis. Right. Parapsychology. If I butcher that, I apologize. So this pastor wonders if there are – immediately his thought is there must be a poltergeist in the home. So that's – they went there. Yep, that's where they went first. Now, I also looked up what the definition of poltergeist is. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was like a demonic possession, too. Yeah. It's not. What is it? It's more energy. Think of the movie Poltergeist. Yeah. It's oh, more of an of energy. TV, like, mm-hmm. okay. Yep, causing things to happen in someone's life. Next episode will be Poltergeist. Next episode, we should watch Poltergeist, and next time we do one, yeah, we should watch it together, have some wine, and then record recapping the movie while drinking wine. Yes. (laughs) Well, by that point, it might be a little wonky. Reverend Schultz believes a poltergeist will not be able to move from one location to another. So, in his kind of observations, he sets it up that Roland is going to come stay at his house. And he wants to observe everything firsthand. So he, in the documentary, they point out that they have like two beds in the room. And then his wife is in the house, the reverend's wife. And she stays in another room that night. And he just wants to observe because it amps up in the evening when he tries to go to bed. Now we're at February 17th. So like a month after Mm -hmm. it really started. Yep. Roland spends the night. And at lights out, Roland's bed starts to vibrate so much that the reverend knows Roland cannot be doing this on his own. So he's in his bed looking over like, what the fuck? He probably didn't say that. Probably. So he moves Roland to an armchair in the room to kind of rest. Didn't we all have, we all, like I was there, like a lazy boy. That's what I imagine. Yes. When I hear armchair. But I don't think they had that back then. Mm, Okay. After things start to calm down, now the chair starts to shake violently to the point of falling over, causing Roland to fall on the floor. Which he could be doing that on his own if he wanted to. So now Reverend Schultz has Roland lay on a mattress on the floor. Yep. (laughs) He's he's like, fuck this. Yeah. He is accommodating. (laughs) So he laid the mattress next to the Reverend's bed, kind of parallel to it. The mattress starts to shake and move around on the floor. And the mattress with Roland lying on it slides underneath the (gasps) Reverend's bed. I don't like that at all. I don't like it at all. Like, I just picture being on that bed like, what are you doing under there? Get the fuck out. In the documentary, they show kind of a reenactment and it, you see it slip under the bed. Was really it so quick. cheesy? It was so, it was so <laughs> scary. It was like, ooh, I didn't like it. And Roland is under there. He's thrashing around and he like is hitting the springs from under the bed. 
of the reverend's bed. Oh my bed. gosh. After this, things only get worse. Roland now was afflicted with three scratches on his body. What? Out of nowhere. Where? On, in the documentary, it shows it being on his arm. So like three scratches? Yes. Like, like, like three nails. Claw. Yeah. Yep, like a claw. Perfect. At this point, so much has happened that Reverend Schultz tells the parents this is no longer what he thinks of as a poltergeist. This is out of his realm, and they need to seek out the Catholic Church. (laughs) (laughs) I can't handle this. Go to another church. I'm sorry. I'm referring you out. So that's what they do. They go to Father Albert Hughes, who was working as an assistant priest at St. James Catholic Church. Father Hughes reported that when they came in, the temperature of the room went very cold. He claims a telephone slid across a desk, and Roland said out loud, quote, Why bother me? You priest of hell. (gasps) Mm. Don't you talk to him that way. I know. Father Hughes knew there was an evil priest. (laughs) An evil priest. (laughs) (laughs) Autocorrect. Father Hughes knew there was an evil presence here and that the devil was possessing Roland. After meeting the family, Father Hughes contacted. So here goes what we were talking about before, going in the order, the hierarchy. Yep. He contacts Archbishop Patrick O'Boyle in Washington, D.C. Because Roland needs an exorcism. He needs it. Yeah, hell yeah. What is it? The What do they say? The body of Christ compels, compels you. you. <laughs> Amy's like pretending to throw holy water on my head. It's going to burn off of you. Oh, I imagine it sizzles. <laughs> yep. Doesn't it do that in the movie? Probably. Well, an exorcism cannot just be, it can't just happen. You can't just decide they need an exorcism and then we do it. Steps need to be followed. So the archbishop agrees to the exorcism. And between February 27th and March 6th, Roland gets admitted to Georgetown Hospital. So is that like a Catholic hospital or? I think it's for his safety and to have doctors and nurses nearby. So they strap Roland to a bed in a room. And if something goes really crazy, they want medical attention nearby. And it's, are you? It's just so sad. Yeah. He's a kid. Yep. So they strap him down, ankles and uh, wrists, and Father Hughes starts to read the prayers of exorcism. But things don't go as planned because Roland is able to slide his hand out of one of the restraints, and according to an eyewitness account, he rips a spring from under the bed frame and rips Father Hughes' (gasps) arm open from shoulder to wrist. Stop it. A wound that would require 100 stitches. Oh, my gosh. So now, why do you think they do it in a hospital? There you go. There you go. <laughs> after going home, it obviously, they didn't make progress. So after going home, Roland gets worse. One night in particular, before going to bed, Roland is heard screaming from the bathroom. And in his chest, a word is inscribed, etched in his skin. The word is Louis, like St. Louis. Oh, which is where Aunt Tilly lived. But see, she wouldn't do that to him. You would assume, right? Yeah. His parents think this is a sign because Aunt Tilly was from St. Louis along with other family members. So they, in their head, think we need to go to St. Louis trying anything to help their son. They don't just visit. They actually move there. And this is real. They did move up and move from Maryland to Missouri, right? Missouri? So why did you guys move here? Uh, Someone (laughs) carved in my chest. Someone carved in my chest, Lewis, so we're here. Um, The documentary also made a good point at saying that whatever you believe, if you believe this story is true or not, something really messed up was going on because the family moved out of nowhere, picked up and left. Yeah. So something was making them afraid. Enough to make them just 
pack up their entire lives and move in with their relatives. Relatives who were devout Catholics, mind you. So it's helpful. So yes. You would think, right? And of course, the devil followed. Did things slow down for Roland? No. Absolutely not. At night, all the same things would happen. With a frightened Roland trying to rest, he simply could not. Things fly across the room, the bed shakes, all all the same things. So welcome to the family. Yep. You're staying at someone's house mm-hmm. and I, you need to leave. That's not a good house guest, I'd say. No. No. So one of the family members is like a college-age cousin of his. Okay. She sees all this and decides to go to her professor, she's in college, at St. Louis University to ask for help, saying that there was something spiritually wrong with her cousin. She goes to a Catholic college. Mm-hmm. Father Raymond Bishop agrees to come observe his behavior, and he's in this for the rest of the story, Father Bishop. Now we're at March 11th. It has not been that much time. No, but so much has happened. I know. Father Bishop comes along with, he brings along Father William Bodern, who also is in this for the rest of the story, to see what's happening with Roland. In the documentary, Father Bodern's great niece is interviewed, who's still alive. Okay. And so she gives a lot of compelling thoughts of why she thinks this is a true story. And it was really sweet because she kind of, you could tell that she loved her uncle, her great uncle, and Mm -hmm. she called him Uncle Bill. Aww. So she says that she grew up knowing this story in their family, and the story goes as this. That on the first night when he came to observe Roland, the two uh, priests here, nothing was observed. But as soon as the priests leave, things go crazy. Oh, so it was like hiding. Mm -hmm. They had just recited prayers and saw no signs of demonic possession, so they left. And then suddenly, loud noises started coming from the room. A bottle of holy water slams across the room. A bookcase moves, blocking the bedroom door. And the priests have to go right back to the house and see everything for themselves. And Mm. they do. They start seeing all this shit. Father Boder now believed there was, he's, you know, convinced there's demonic activity going on here. So he references a book called The Roman Ritual, which is real. Oh. A real text, if you will. Is it the how to get a demon out? (laughs) Yeah. How to perform an exorcism for demons. (laughs) It's a, yeah, it's a 17th century manual that gives the rules of an exorcism. I want this book. I know. I'm sure you could get the PDF online. It reminds me of Manifest when they find the book of Alzerus. 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 I just finished watching that too. I didn't finish yet. Okay, I won't say anything. So many people think that any priest can just stroll in and exorcise someone, but not so. Like we talked about, the procedures, the rules, they are in place to make sure it's done properly, but most importantly, safely Mm -hmm. for everyone involved. Like not get your arm cut open. Yep, pretty much. At the time of this documentary in 2020, there were currently 125 officially appointed exorcists in the United States. And the priest that they interviewed in the documentary, he seemed fairly young. I I mean, young is a relative term, but he said when he first became appointed to be allowed to perform an exorcist he was one of 12 in the united states and then by the 2020 by the time of the documentary it was up to 125 so it's becoming more popular i know right so this is the first thing father bodern does he has to prove that roland is on the classic path to full demonic possession duh and in that regard this was interesting kind of fun fact the catholic church identifies four different types of extreme demonic activity this right, was let's really see if he has it yeah this was really interesting to me number one is called demonic infestation which is the presence of evil in an object or location 
So the dishes moving or no? That would be the like in the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the house. Okay. Yep. Or Check. like yeah, or like you go to a cave and you feel an evil presence yeah. and I don't know. Okay, number two. Oh, you said check. Check. <laughs> Demonic vexation, which is when a person believes they're experiencing physical attacks from a demon. Well, I mean, he's freaking out. Yep. Like, yes. Check. Check. Okay. Number three, demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. Okay, step four, La- or rule four, whatever. Demonic possession. A demon takes control of a person's body. So <laughs> Roland experienced the first three stages of demonic activity, which means he's possessed. Check. Check. So Father Bodern requests a different priest to continue the exorcism. Why? Because he feels like he's not the guy for the job. Like oh. he's not experienced enough. So it's not Bishop. Bishop? Well, we're going there because my next note is that he followed protocol and contacted Archbishop Joseph Ritter to request the exorcism. And he asked, he requested that another priest be appointed to this. He felt personally he wasn't in the right place to do this, but he was told by the Archbishop, it's you, dude. Oh, it's all you. Too bad. So sad. You're too doing bad. it. Yep. The bishop requested he specifically do it. Father Bodern is the man for the job. The church approved it, and now that's it. It must be done. They got. They have to rid this evil from the earth. So here we are. Now we're in Belnor, Missouri. March 16th. In a suburban St. Louis home, it begins. Father Bodern brought along two other priests to do this exorcism as like little assistants. He was afraid but determined. The archbishop instructed them to keep this all secret. I mean, fair. Yeah. During the whole process, though, he had Father Bishop, who I mentioned before, keep a diary of the events, a log. Yeah. For record-keeping purposes. He knew that this was an extreme case, and he wanted it documented. Maybe as a how-to manual for the next priest that was coming in the situation. Either way. So the next step is they laid out the things that they would need. A crucifix, holy water, the manual I mentioned, the Roman ritual. The Roman. Mm-hmm. And they're ready for the main event. So planning to invoke the Holy Spirit and recite their prayers, bloody scratches suddenly appeared on Roland's body. Ooh. They say suddenly, so like before their eyes. Yeah. They try to battle the demon. They want the demon to reveal itself so they can battle with it, mm-hmm. not with Roland. But the demon refused. Then the word hell appeared on Roland's chest. Ugh, I don't like that at all. This poor kid. I know. Like, it was bra- like he was branded, they said in the documentary. Apparently, there was no way that Roland could have done this by himself as they were witnessing it. Mm-hmm. They think this was the devil trying to scare them. This went on that night for nine hours until Roland collapsed and fell asleep. Mm. I know. It's so sad. This poor it's not kid. him. It's a demon. It's a demon. This was noted as the first exorcism. The beginning An of it. unsuccessful yeah. exorcism. Yep. It was believed that this was the moment of full possession when oh. Roland was completely possessed. So that possessed. check mark now can be added then. <laughs> yep. He checks all the boxes. And this will continue. A true exorcism is not a one and done. Like in the movies, they go on and on and on. They can so during the day, Roland is normal, but at night he changes. During that's his, so crazy. I know, right? I don't know. I why. wonder what the, not scientific. That's not the word. Maybe the demon is nocturnal, and sleeps during the day. 
Like a vampire. Mm -hmm. During his exorcisms, he transforms into what they call a rabid creature. They say their prayers and they lay relics on his body. One night, Roland felt like he was going to be ill and said out loud, he's going. That's in quotes. He vomited and they thought that this could have been the end. Father Bodron left that night thinking it was done. Oh. Because a lot of times, according to the documentary, vomiting is a sign. It is a sign of release. Yeah. It was not done. Nope. 2 a.m. That same night at 2 a.m., Roland wakes up yelling, he's coming back. And Father Bodron returns to the house and the exorcism continues. Uh, Now, here we are, March 20th, the fifth day of the exorcism. Okay. And it is still going on. And one of the assistant priests said that he was standing near the end of the bed and saw it with his own eyes levitate eight inches off the floor, only to slam back down. That's like the movie. Yep, that is. Roland's family also invited into their home a person named Frank Bubb. Do you know who that is? No. He also, this man also witnessed levitation of a nightstand when he was in their home, claiming that it had to do with electromagnetism, because he is a scientist, right? and he is one of the people that helped build the atomic bomb. So that's crazy that he was involved in that. I know like what they called him in. I like, oh hey bud, like I know you're super super busy building atomic bombs, but we kind of want you to come see this. No, he attributed it to electromagnetism. I did I a demon science whatever. Yeah. Father Bodern came to the point where he thought they should move Roland to another location. So that's what they did, but it didn't help. Nothing no. seems to help with this kid. So they moved him to the rectory at St. Francis Xavier College Church, but the students started finding out quickly that something was going on because they could hear, just like the neighbors in the beginning, Yeah, they could hear the screaming, the animal-like noises, the banging, and they started spreading their own rumors. If you fail class, this is what happens to you. <laughs> I'll lock you up with Roland. <laughs> so a lot of attention was starting, and they, they didn't want that. Yeah. The possession got worse. So this is when Roland's physical strength started to increase and became even more dangerous. It would take three men to restrain him at some points. And he's, what, 13, 14 yep, years 13 old? 13 years old. And it's the three priests, by the way, to the point of him breaking the nose of one of the priests from a punch. Oh, my gosh. Can you picture our skinny little, we have 11-year-old daughters, you know, in two no. years, they're not going to change much. Punching you to break your nose. Oh, no. No, no. But remember, he, like, slit that other, Yep. Pr- like, that is sticking with me like that's crazy yeah the thought is that even restraining people during an exorcism is pointless because you can't truly restrain the demon so march 26 the 11th day roland went back home at this point he was staying in the college things got a little crazy for five days he was calm oh good one night he said he wanted to write things down and this is what he wrote quote i will stay 10 days but will return after the four days are up i am the devil himself end quote so Father Bishop thought he would be possessed for 10 more days. That That's what he assumed. But the devil was just plain or yeah. jokey joke. April 1st. It's decided that Roland will be baptized in an attempt to reject the powers of Satan. On the drive to the church for his baptism, Roland became afflicted again. While in the car, he goes into a rage and tries to grab the fucking steering wheel. 
Mm. And they didn't have seatbelts back then. I know. He says that the baptism will not work. Roland says this. So putting his life in danger to avoid going to the church. Which means it will work. I know, right? (laughs) They do get him there and they drag him in cursing and spitting. As they're dousing him with holy water, three priests are holding him down, working on a shortened version of the baptism. Like, let's speed this up, guys. It doesn't help. No. Father Bodern suggests they admit Roland to a medical facility at this point because he started losing so much weight and physically his body was falling apart, which is sad. I know. So, and this is more to prove, like, he's weak. Yeah. He can take down three guys. Exactly. That's true. So he gets admitted to the psychiatric ward of Alexian Brothers Hospital run by an ancient order of Catholic monks. So on a- that was on April 10th, the 26th day of his exorcism. So that hospital are well known, were, I'm sorry, were well known for caring for people suffering with severe mental illness. And they feel that this would help so that everything could be contained in a hospital medical facility with the Catholic presence there. Roland would be safe and he'd be out of the public eye, which was important to them. Mm -hmm. So the Alexian brothers is what they were called, uh, were known for their secrecy. In 2014. (laughs) I was five. Okay. No, you weren't. (laughs) In 2014, much later, obviously, one of the monks known as the Alexian brothers broke his silence to give an account of what he witnessed during this exorcism. Betrayed. You're shaking your head. What'd you say? Betrayed. <laughs> Amy's shaking her head. Brother Greg Holowinski was dying of cancer at the time and wanted to tell this story. He recounted that the devil used the boy's hand to grab the priest's silk and tore it to shreds within a second during the exorcism. And he alleges to have witnessed this he said that you could feel the devil's power and he saw roland's body levitate off the bed if a monk is going to break his silence for anything it better be for something like this he claimed that what he was seeing was real and anyone with common sense seeing this would know that it could not be faked i mean he's a monk I feel like I trust him. If I trust anyone. So the documentary goes on to say that there's no reason that this monk would have to make up this story. Yeah. Right? Like, why after all this time? Right. A few days before... Now we're going back to Roland. A few days before Easter, April 13th, Father Bodern takes Roland to an outdoor retreat, wanting him to get fresh air and have a break from the hospital. (laughs) So he takes him to a place where there are statues of biblical scenes leading up to Jesus's crucifixion in this park, if you will. When they go to the statue of Jesus being placed in the tomb, Roland freaks out and starts seizing. It was as if the demon inside him started to lead Roland and Father Bodern to death because Roland takes off running to the edge of a bluff nearby or cliff nearby. And the priest has to tackle him to the ground to keep him from jumping off. Oh, my gosh. I know. And like you were saying, he's so weak and malnourished at this time. So supposedly Roland came out of the trance and didn't remember 
anything that just happened in that moment. So there's that check mark of, does he know? Yeah, right. At this point, Father Bodron himself is starting to break down. He had lost at this point almost 40 pounds, the priest the himself. Priest did. Yeah. He was exhausted. He was developing boils on his skin. Ew. I know. <laughs> and if you would think about it, he's spending hours, days, yeah. weeks praying, fasting, sacrificing in a way his own life for the uh, and his own physical health yeah. for this for this demon for Roland to save Roland later Roland started complaining about the religious relics that he had they had placed on him as like a necklace like crosses Mm -hmm. and said that they were burning his skin and would try to get them off and in a deep masculine voice which freaks me out he started screaming louder when a crucifix was placed and touched on his skin. Father Bodern demanded that the demon leave. And this is when the demon spoke through Roland with a threat. This is the quote of what was said as written in the exorcism diary, the diary that Father Bishop mm-hmm. has been keeping. Quote, he has to say one more word. I feel like I should say this in like a deep voice. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if I could do it. He has to say one more word. One little word. I mean, one big word. He did not say it like that, did he? Let me finish. He'll (laughs) never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power, always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. Did he really say one small word and then corrected himself? Or is that you correcting (laughs) yourself? No, that's what the quote is. That's the quote. This is ridiculous. That's See, the quote. why did they even add that? I feel like I was buying this before. I know. It's in the diary, though. See, even the demon makes mistakes. <laughs> Typos. It's very much like a say the magic word yeah. moment. Is it a, a password? And yeah. It will release you. Yes. It's going to be something stupid. Well, I don't know. Like hippopotamus. <laughs> it is. He would never say hippopotamus. Exactly. Oh, or flamingo. Well, that's, that's not it. Pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Roland himself in then a clear voice suddenly commands the demon to leave him. Oh, so he's, he's kind of... standing up for himself. He's, yes, and he gains a consciousness of the event. Way to grow a backbone, Roland. Yep. And Father Bowden realizes what the word is that Roland must say. Oh, he figured it out? He really? figures it out, yep. Really, he did. The Latin word for Lord, which is pronounced dominus. 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 I had to spell it phonetically. Can you whisper that to me gently? (laughs) Dominus. Only if you get possessed by an evil spirit. Okay. So at this point, Roland broke out in violent convulsions. He claimed to have a prophetic vision during this exorcism or this event. I don't know what to call it. The event, the day of the exorcism. Well, isn't this all an exorcism? Yeah, exactly. So during this day. So he had a prophetic vision after all this shit's going on. Seeing himself outside of a cave with an angel and a flaming sword. This is in his mind. A vision of St. Michael the Archangel pushing demons into a fiery pit of hell, which is what St. Michael would do, according to biblical references. In his vision, St. Michael says the word dominus, and after minutes of these spasms, Roland becomes still and speaks out loud, he's gone. (gasps) Yay. <laughs> Reaction. Yay. Yay. Mini wave in celebration of Roland. Woo. <laughs> Can I get a cheeseburger now? Seriously. So the seizure stopped. He stopped convulsing, thrashing all of it over. And it really seems anticlimactic, but 
it's really it's been a lot of shit going yeah. on. Father Bowden was Bowden was skeptical, but the others started celebrating. The other priests. Like, oh, so is this where the me. twist in the horror movie comes? I well, no, not really. So <laughs> he Father Bowden prays for a sign to know if the demon is really gone, which I would fucking do too. And a large boom supposedly reverberated through the hospital that shook the building. Oh, and, and it, it's what's his name, Bud. <laughs> <laughs> putting the atomic bomb <laughs> and I saw in the documentary they said that another priest in another part of the building thought something had like the stove exploded or something mm-hmm. like that um, that's how it was noted that there was a there was some type of boom or loud noise yeah. or shake and so to Father Bodern this was the sign this shit is over Yeah, Roland went back home like that. This that was it the demon was cleansed from his spirit. He goes back home to Maryland after a few weeks, and he went back to fucking school. Oh, what have you been up yeah. to? Yeah, what did you do over <laughs> fucking your spring break? He gets a new dog, and he writes Father Boder in letters telling him how happy he is. And that's it. And then the sinister look in his eye. <laughs> so, okay, now do we know what happened to him as an adult? Kind of, yeah. So I do have that for you. Supposedly, the Catholic Church refuses to confirm or deny this story. Oh. But there are 48 eyewitnesses of the possession that went down on record. Not specifically that those 48 people know that Roland or say that Roland was possessed, but saying that freaky stuff that they couldn't explain was mm-hmm. happening. Father Bodern didn't speak of this at all because he was told to keep it under wraps until near the end of his life. And he spoke about it with his family and called it a true case of demonic possession. And that brings you back to his great niece I told you about who says she knew the story. So do you believe it, Amy? It's tough. There's probably some truth to it. I mean, whether it's a real demonic possession or the kid was troubled. Yeah. But if if you take it at face value and what the journal says is true, there's a lot of things you can't explain by science, which is interesting. It, that is interesting. I take it as, like, I take all paranormal things. Unless I see it with my own eyes, mm-hmm. it's difficult for me. But I know the Catholic Church believes fully in oh, demons. Yeah. And they are very secretive about things, like, with it. Mm-hmm. Well, they believe in angels and demons. It's like a counterbalance. If you mm-hmm. believe in God, you believe in the devil. Right. So, okay, after this event, according to the documentary, Roland supposedly remained Catholic the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Finished school, went to college, got married, had a child who he had named Michael, based off, off of the uh, archangel, yeah. and became a rocket scientist for NASA. Stop it. That is what they said. <laughs> that is what it says. Going on to live a long life with um, this being put in his past and the real Roland Doe, which they made a point not to reveal his name. I think you can find it. But it was made a point not to reveal because the real Rolando has never spoken publicly about this and is now, as of 2020, in his 80s, still alive. So he is still alive. Yeah. So to end with a fun fact, the psychiatric wing of the building where the exorcism occurred was being torn down in the 70s. And I think a lot of psychiatric wards were torn mm-hmm. down at that point. Again, I've watched American Horror Story. Yeah. And construction workers found a room that was locked off. And in the room, they found a desk that contained a booklet which was a copy of Father Bishop's <gasps> diary. And the diary became public, leading to the stories and the movies and this podcast episode for you today. Wow. So. Someone 
lost their job. <laughs> I know. For this episode, I watched the 2020 documentary, The Exorcism of Roland Doe on Max, HBO Max. But it's not just called Max. And that's where I got a lot of this information, so I want to shout them out. Yeah. They need my shout out, apparently. They need it. They, if you don't give it, no one's going to watch no it. No one will watch it without me. That's it, Amy. Like, that's what I have for you. I liked it. Yeah. It's interesting. It I is. like when horror movies have true backgrounds, like, or not some kind of connection to the real world. Yeah. I didn't know that about the exorcism that it based on a true story. If you want to call it that. <laughs> Quote unquote true story. Quote unquote. Well, when something's based on a true story, they can take a lot of oh, yeah. liberties. Well, like the head spinning around mm-hmm. for one. She's, he's not an owl, but. Did you ever watch the scary movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mockery of it. <laughs> oh, yes. You've got to watch those. Did you get scary. any of your notes from that movie? <laughs> Half of my notes are from Scary Movie. Is that Scary Movie 1, 2, 3? I don't remember. Who knows? All right. Well, thank you again, Amy, for coming and substituting for Joanna. When you get possessed, I will come to your aid. I really hope so. I mean, yeah. after this, we might be in trouble i just need to check out that book from my local library the roman rituals yeah right. <laughs> i'm sure they have, have a kindle oh uh, yeah <laughs> a kindle version so if you liked what you heard today please do us a kindness and shoot us a rating a review if you use apple Podcasts, you can leave a written review because it helps our show and it means the world to us and we would appreciate it yes please also, if you feel so inclined, we do have a Patreon account, live or patreon.com slash live, laugh, murder podcast. And it's a place you can support our show and in return, get our episodes early and ad free. We and also, a keychain. Yeah, I was going to say, we also like to mail goodies to our Patreon donors from time to time. Yes. Like a keychain. Like a keychain. And stickers. Yep. So on that note, any final words, Amy? Thank you for having me. This was fun. And mm-hmm. Joanna? Hmm. We miss you. Oh, I'm glad someone does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you, Joanna. It's not the same without you. See you but soon. But I did a better job. Yep. Amy, where can you find us on Instagram? Live, laugh, murder, Insta. Podcast. Podcast. What's our email in case someone wants to Ooh, send us a message? I know it. Live, laugh, murder, pod at gmail. Good com. job. I was going to say at AOL.com. At Hotmail. <laughs> M-A-L-E male. So on that note, remember to live, laugh, and never play with a Ouija board to the point of allowing a demon to possess your body, which requires an exorcism. That was a really good ending. Yeah, and don't murder. Don't murder. Bye, guys. Bye.